Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. How are we this morning? Uh, we've been, let's catch up first. We've been in a series on prayer. What we're doing is looking at spiritual disciplines. And if you don't know what spiritual disciplines are, this is how we're defining them. They are the way that we participate in the work that only God can accomplish, the work of changing our hearts. Disciplines are things that we do in our life, habits of faithfulness, that as we do them more, they grow us closer to God. They make us look more like Jesus. So they're good things. But it's not just our efforts mean that we're better Christians. This is a way that the Holy Spirit inside of our spirit works to bring about change because change comes from God who is in control. And so we took week one and we looked at the idea of what prayer does. We said, okay, so if we pray, here's something we know. Prayer overall changes us because of three things we know about prayer. First, prayer is inviting in and interacting with God's presence. God who is always near, God who is never far away. Every time we pray, we recognize, we realize the presence of God around us. And as we do that, it begins to change us because God's presence changes the people of God. So when we realize we're in the presence of God, we come out a different person. And that might last a year, that might last five minutes, but we are changed when we find and experience God. And so if prayer is experiencing God's presence, interacting with it, and the presence of God changes us, then prayer changes us. And we said prayer is one of the main ways through which God is changing you. And we said if you want to be a better husband, if you want to be more loving, if you want to be more compassionate, you're just trying harder but not praying harder, we have a problem. Pray more, right? We said God uses prayer to change you, but then last week we said it doesn't stop there. Last week we said God doesn't just use prayer to change you, but God uses prayer to change the world around us. Outside of us, God listens to our prayers. And we said the power of prayer is the belief that God is active, that we are heard, and that our prayers today have the ability to change tomorrow. So last Sunday, one of the points we made, one of my favorite points that I heard from people, I quoted an archbishop, and he basically said, the more I pray, the more coincidences I see. Basically said, if I pray for things, I realize that God is doing something. And the more I pray for change, the more I see God bring change in my world. And and so last Sunday, we had this be a world thing after the second service. It was this lunch, kind of bar trivia game thing. It went really well. It went really long. So we were here until it started at 1230. We thought there'd be 60 people. There was like 100 people. And so we're trying to figure out what's going on. And there are kids tearing tablecloths. And it's a beautiful experience for everybody. And we finally get done about 145. And then we just hung around for a while. And and we actually, Andy has this hoverboard that he got for Christmas. So people took turns on the hoverboard while trying not to break themselves. It was a blast. And so Andy and I afterwards stayed up here just to kind of debrief the morning and talk about wins and talk about how we've seen God work at Crossroads in the last month and a half because it's been a good month and a half. And, and we're sitting downstairs and we do this from time to time. And we're sitting downstairs. And when we do this, we're usually always upstairs, but we're downstairs. And it's like three o'clock at this point. And, and just so you guys know, we're good husbands. When our wives tell us to go, we go. And usually I can't hang out here until three o'clock on a Sunday. 
my wife was getting lunch with somebody and the kid was at the in-laws and so I had free reign just to hang out without feeling guilty like I needed to be somewhere and be a better dad, you know? Andy, his wife was grabbing lunch with somebody else, so he was free as well, and that rarely happens. We both felt like we could stay and chat, and as we're downstairs, we see somebody walk up to the front door right here. It's three o'clock on a Sunday. We're closed, right? And so they knock on the door, and Andy says, there's somebody here, and I said, because I'm a man of God, I said, do you think they see us? It's not too late to duck around the corner. (laughs) Super spiritual, everybody. I was tired. And Andy just got done saying how I love where this church is at because we're doing things and we might swing and miss, but we're going to swing a few times, right? And so I said, we should probably do something. And so we walk over to the door. There's this uh, father and daughter that we'd never met before. And we opened the door and they were weeping. And, and I'm, I don't do well with crying. So I tried to be like, hey, how, how can we help you? And they said, we don't go to this church. Um, we just need prayer. And I said, well, hey, you want to come inside? And would you like us to pray with you? And they said, yeah, that'd be great. So we sit down with them. Long story short, um, the daughter was dealing with some addiction issues. And I said, what can we pray for you about? Last Sunday, we taught on the power of prayer and how God changes the world if we pray. And we taught about how when we pray, the more coincidences we see. And this man looked at Andy and I and said, I need prayer to believe in the power of prayer, right? And I said, it's funny you should ask for that this morning of all mornings. Anyway, and we're talking to him and, and, you know, they're crying and, I said, do you guys have any faith? And he said, I'm a Catholic. And, and the daughter cried and said, I'm an atheist. And I said, okay. And um, we just prayed for him. We prayed for him for 20 minutes and got to hear their story. And here's what I know. I know that they came in crying and they left laughing. I know that power, prayer has the power to change people. I saw it last week in one single moment. And I'm hoping that God is working in their world to bring about change in her life because of the power of prayer. Because that woman drove past three churches to get to this one. Why this one? We looked closed. I wanted to duck out, but Andy being the worship leader said, let's not do that, right? It was a beautiful moment that for me and kind of summed up what we're talking about, this idea of prayer that changes us and then makes us see more of God's interaction in our world, the known things about prayer. But here's the deal. This morning, we take a sharp right turn from the known things to the unknown things because today we talk about what happens when God doesn't answer our prayers. And I, I believe there's a, there's a lot we know about God and we can read in scripture, but we live in a bottom line upfront world. We live in, a, I read articles that have bullet points and bullet points only. We live in a headline culture. And so what that means is it, it's hard to find time and space and patience for nuance. We live in a world of knowns and the unknowns frustrates me. It does. So today we're going to talk about the unknown why God doesn't answer prayers. And let me tell you something, I don't know. I'm just gonna be really honest with you guys. I don't know. If you're praying for something, I can't say this is why. I can say, here's some reasons why sometimes God doesn't and that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna go through the scriptures in a big picture sense and say, hey, this is some things we know about prayer and we know the kinds of prayers God listens to and maybe we check our prayers at the door and realize maybe this isn't the kind of prayer that God listens to. But at the end of the day, what we wanna do is focus on what we know because this question is way bigger than the 45 minutes I'm gonna be up here. And sometimes we come here and we know things about God. Today, we're gonna have a conversation that I don't have an answer to and that's good. Because when we come on Sunday mornings, we have two goals. We say it every week. We want to experience God in worship, and we want to know more about God who can never be fully comprehensible or understood by us. And that's a beautiful thing. Because if I could comprehend God, he's no bigger than me. 
if I could fully comprehend all of the character of God, all of the nuance of God, all of God's ways and thoughts, and he is no bigger than my ways and thoughts, and I don't want to worship that God because I do not make great decisions most days. And so today is a beautiful conversation about things that I can't give you a three-step process to, but it's in the tension of the unknownness sometimes that we're reminded that God's bigger than us. I need that. So that's what this morning is. And when we have these conversations, we say on Sunday mornings, we want to know God and experience God because God made us both ways. And we're going to pray this morning as we get going in the text. We're going to pray that God works in and through his scriptures. I'm going to ask you to pray because the spirit is alive in you and this is not a one-way street. We believe God is doing something as you interact with his presence right here, right now. And I'm going to ask that you pray for me that I make sense this morning amidst all the unknowns. All right, so let's take some time and pray. God, I'm thankful for the little ways that I see you answering prayers all around us, that I see prayers changing the hearts and lives of people in this church and in our community and the people that just show up for reasons they can't explain. There are no coincidences because God is in control. This morning, as we talk about a conversation where there's a lot of unknowns, uh, Spirit, I pray that you bring clarity and confidence. Clarity and confidence to our conversations and to the idea that we can trust in you even if we don't understand what's going on. So I'd ask um, if you're comfortable that you'd take a few seconds and, and you just pray that the Spirit speaks to you through the Scripture. You pray that this morning that you meet God and he gives clarity to your situation and to your life because he's near and the presence of God is here. I'd ask that you pray for me, just for clarity and wisdom that the words we speak might be encouraging and comforting and edifying, that God might work through the message this morning. We pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen. So we talk about unanswered prayers. We see it in scripture all the time. David, a man after God's own heart, one of my favorite verses, because I resonate with it, said this in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says it as well on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out day by day, but you don't answer. By night, I find no rest. It's this problem, if you will, this unansweredness of God when he seemingly goes silent when we're praying for things that we want in our world. And I, th I think when we have this conversation, I think we've all been there, by the way, and then when we have this conversation, what naturally we default to is what can I do to make God hear me more, right? What can I, what can I do? What kind of equation can I apply to the problem to get the answer or the solution? We have this intrinsic desire to do more so God might hear more. Really what we're doing there is saying, how can we get God to respond? I think it's an okay place to be, but I think if we're going to have a conversation about prayer and God's unanswered prayers, I think we have to start with the conversation on what we expect from God and what that says about the kind of God we serve. So, for example, there was a, I went to Moody Bible Institute, and uh, one of his running mates was a guy named R.A. Torrey. He was an evangelist, and he did a lot of music stuff, and he lived in the mid-1800s to the early 1900s, and I think he was in Melbourne when this happened. I'm going to read you a bit. So he's about to speak in Melbourne, and somebody hands him this letter. It's an anonymous letter. He's speaking in front of thousands of people, and this is what the letter said. Dear Dr. Tory, I'm in great perplexity. I've been praying for a long time for something that I'm confident is according to God's will, but I do not get it. 
I've been a member of the Presbyterian Church for 30 years. I've tried to be consistent one week at a time. I've been superintendent in the Sunday school for 25 years, an elder in the church for 20 years, and yet God does not answer my prayer, and I cannot understand it. Can you explain it to me? I read that, and I think, yes. I read that, and I think, okay, you know. I read that, and I think, what can I do to make God listen? I love his response. So he gets up to the podium in front of all these people, doesn't know who sent this, and this is what he did. It says, Tori recognized the subtext of the argument and took a plunge. He walked to the podium, read the note, and used it to make a point. He said the podium, uh, the problem was not hard to see. Quote, this man thinks that because he has, he's been a consistent church member for 30 years, he's been a faithful Sunday school superintendent for 25, he's been an elder in the church for 20 years, that God is under obligation to answer his prayer. He's really praying in his own name, not God's. And why I like that is because I start in the place of unanswered prayers that God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't. If we're going to have a conversation about unanswered prayers, we have to start by saying it's not about what you do or how often you do it. We do not have a claim on a God who's bigger than us, who's in more control than we are. If we have a claim on God, then God is not independent of us and he ceases to be God as we define him. Martin Luther says it like this, He says, when we try and dictate to God the time, place, and manner for him to act, we are testing him. At the same time, we're trying to see if he's really there. Doing that is putting limits on God and trying to make him do what we want. It's nothing less than trying to deprive God of his divinity. So if we're having a conversation on God's unanswered prayers, I need to start with the simple fact that we don't have a claim on God to answer us in the first place. So when we say it's not fair, I want to say what is fair. When we say it's not fair, I want to say, how do, it's the Job argument. God, who are you? And God says, who are you to tell me what, when, where, why, and how to do my job as God, you know? Now, it doesn't mean that God isn't good and gracious and wants to answer, but we have to expel this notion that God owes me something when we pray at the very beginning or we start in a bad place. And so after we do that, we have these scriptures that seemingly say, but God listens and hears. Last week we were in James 2, You don't have because you don't ask. And we said we need to ask more. God likes to be asked. When we ask God, it it, it shows that we aren't in control of everything. The simple idea of asking is admitting to ourselves that we can't control things and something else can control things. So when we ask, what we're saying is, God, I'm not sovereign, you are. When we ask, what we're saying is, God, show me that you can act. So when things do happen in our world, we rightfully attribute it to God and not us. When we ask, God seemingly responds, but there's some things that we ask for that God doesn't respond to. The next verse in James 4 says this in verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So first and fundamentally, and it might not seem like that big of an aha moment, but sometimes it's really hard to see our selfishness. God doesn't answer prayers that are for our gain and not his glory. Doesn't do it. God doesn't answer prayers that are primarily involved with us being more, getting more, or being better because God has called us into a life of selflessness and service, not selfishness. It goes against his character because he is selfless. And so God says, if you're praying only for your good, if you're praying and your motive and your desire is selfish, I'm not going to act. We, we see it in Mark 10, two guys, James and John. God just said, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to go away and... I'm actually going to be handed over to the Pharisees and he proclaims his death. 
These guys, these 12 guys have been following him for a couple years now. And he says, I'm going to die. And if you are one of the 12 and you gave up everything to follow Jesus, and he says, I'm going to die. If I'm a friend, my first response is, what can I do to help? James and John did something different in Mark 10. They said this. They said to Jesus, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And then Jesus said, what do you want me to do? And they said to him, permit one of us to sit at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. Guess what Jesus didn't do? That, right? Essentially, he says, I'm going to die. And James and John says, what does this mean for me? You know, God, I'm going to ask that you do this. And he says, no, because it's about you, not about me. The first thing we have to recognize and realize is that when we pray and don't hear back a yes from God, we have to ask if our prayer is for us or for God's glory. We have to ask what our prayer is rooted and grounded in. My uh, boss here, when I first got hired, (laughs) was a youth pastor, and he'd been a youth pastor for years and years and years. And one of my favorite things he did was students would come to him, and they would say, hey, man, can you, I just got this test. I got this final. I got this whatever. Can you pray that I get a good grade? And say, sure. And they'd bow their heads, and he'd begin to pray. And he'd say, God, I pray that this person gets whatever grade they should get for how much they studied, you know? It was, and you could see the face of the sisters, like, that's not what I asked for. I said, A, you said a just grade. There's a difference there, and we need to talk about it. I love it, because one is, I just want this thing at the expense of all other things, because it's only about me, instead of maybe it not being about you, but about God. So God doesn't answer prayers that are selfish in nature, but here's the beautiful part, is that, Selfishness is often a sign of immaturity. It's, I need what I want when I want it. And the more mature we get, the more we realize that there are bigger things outside of us. And so selfish prayers, I'd say, still pray them. Because as we pray, we just talked about God grows and changes us. So you know how you go from immaturity to maturity? You're changed through prayer. Pray more. And as you pray, God will begin to work on you and show you his presence. And so I'm If you're praying selfish prayers, keep on praying because that's how we change in the first place. It's this beautiful process that we don't stop praying simply because we're not praying the right way. We we pray more and trust that God is going to change us. There's a couple people I said that I have... um, kind of as a, as a guy that I looked at, I'm like, that's a, that's a good guy. Like, that's a cool guy. Like, you know, I have a little man crush-esque moment. It used to be Tony Romo, but he's not the leader of the Cowboys anymore. One is Justin Timberlake. I just have to say that out loud. We would be best friends if we met in person. Um, I, 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 guys, I know it. If you have any contacts, really, it's for his good, not mine. I, I think another one, um, this is going to make people laugh, and I'm going to get made fun of quite a bit on this, but I, I don't care. I trust you guys to make fun of me well. Um, there's a guy named Zac Efron. And I knew I shouldn't have said it out loud. He, uh, why? I, I, sometimes we were looking at some pictures yesterday. My family got some pictures taken, and I was with some friends, and they looked, and they said, Charlie, you're getting rounder. I said, thanks, man. Appreciate you. You have a kid, and come talk to me, right? Anyway, so I, Zach Efron is in, like, really, really good shape, and he got in shape for this movie, and I was looking at some pictures of the movie, and I was like, I don't even know how, I don't know how you do that, you know? And, and they had an interview with them. And they said, what did you do to get in such good shape? And he said, honestly, I changed my diet. And I don't know about you guys, I like eating. I love eating, and I like eating what I like eating, so I'll work out. But the diet change for me is kind of like, eh, I'll just work out so I can eat what I want. And, and they said, what do you mean by the diet change? And he said, well, at first it's terrible. At first you're eating kale, and you're like, why am I eating kale? This is awful. And he said, but it's crazy, over time, the more you eat kale, the more you like kale. He said, around week four or five, my body just said, man, I want to eat some kale. And you might look at me and say, that's impossible, the power of prayer, everybody, right? It, 
It literally is, it's an example of how the more we press into, the more we pray. If you pray immature prayers, keep praying and God will grow you into maturity and you'll learn to love those things. So sometimes God doesn't answer prayers because they are intrinsically selfish, but as we pray more, we become less selfish and more selfless. Tim Keller says it like this. Prayer gives us relief from the melancholy burden of self-absorption. Love it. So the more we pray, the more we grow. I think too, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because they're selfish and we don't see the other side. So we, we like to live in a black and white world where there's good and evil. And we pray for the good side all the time, you know? We always pray for the good side and anything against us is the evil side. So God has to answer my prayers. It's why football teams gather in the locker room on Friday night and they pray for their team and not the other team, but the other team's praying too. What does God do in that situation? Because sometimes it's not as clear as black and white, but God cares for both sets of people. And we forget. We, we forget that there are other people outside of ourselves. There's a movie, Bruce Almighty, and Jim Carrey got bestowed the abilities of God from Morgan Freeman, whom has the voice of God, I'm pretty sure. And in the movie, it's what it sounds like in my head, has for years. In, in the movie, um, there's this one scene, and Jim Carrey is getting all of these requests in like 10 minutes or something. It's 400,000 requests, and he just doesn't have the time, so he says yes to everybody, right? And so like that night, there was a couple hundred thousand lotto winners that went like four bucks a piece, you know? <laughs> And the idea is that maybe what you're praying for, somebody else is praying for, and what does God do in that moment? So maybe he's not saying yes to your prayer because you don't see how it affects others around you, not just God's glory, but maybe the people around your world because it's not as black and white. It's not as hero and villain. There is a, a poet in World War II named John Betjeman, and he said this. He said, he wrote this poem. He said, gracious Lord, oh, bomb the Germans. Spare their women for thy sake. And if that is not too easy, we will pardon thy mistake. But gracious Lord, whatever shall be, don't let anyone bomb me. <laughs> you know? It's this idea that we have teams, that we have black and white, and the team that I'm on is always the hero. Sometimes we forget that our prayers aren't about us all the time. So God doesn't answer selfish prayers. And sometimes we have to step back and say, is my prayer selfish? But two, there's other kinds of prayers. Um, there's other kinds of ways that we affect our prayers. And one is quite simply that sometimes God doesn't give us things that we're unwilling to give others. And this is a hard one. What I'm not saying is that your actions affect how much God cares for you. What I am saying is that through the scripture, it seems that God wants us to live out the rhythms of God in our world. And if we refuse to do that, then he's less willing to give us those things. It says in Proverbs uh, 22, I believe it is, 21, 13. The one who shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. It's this idea that if we pray for things we're unwilling to give, then God's unwilling to see that come into our life because we don't see the value of it. It's a theme throughout scripture. We see it in Matthew 7. It says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 18, there's a parable about a guy who was forgiven a huge debt. A lifetime of money was forgiven. Somebody owed him a couple days wages and he had that guy thrown in prison. And then God says this, Jesus says this in Matthew 18, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? It says in Luke 16, whomever can be trusted with very little 
can also be trusted with very much, and whomever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. It's this simple idea that God says, I will give you the things in your world that I value, but you need to be a steward of that. And if you're not, then maybe you don't know that it's a value and you need to recognize that need, you know? Maybe you need to sit in it a little more and realize, oh wait, maybe I need to be more compassionate when I cry out to God for compassion. I was a I had a bunch of odd jobs in college, a bunch, a bunch of odd jobs, anything to make money that was straight cash. And so one of them was a valet. And um, we have a tipping culture that I think is crazy, right? And we're not going to get into that, but I, I, we tip everybody. But valets, I've always taught to tip. I was a valet in college, and I'd always tip valets $1, $2. If I didn't have $1 or $2, I'd say, sorry, man, I'll get you later. Now, because I had that job, now I'm a valet, and I tip like fives and tens, right? Because I had it because I see what they go through, because I recognize their need, and I recognize all they do, and so because I recognize and value that need, I give more. God's saying, you want compassion, but you don't know the value of compassion, so maybe you're not going to get it right now. You need to recognize the need of it. It's this idea that God says, I'm going to give to you things that you dispense into the world around you. It's how we reflect the goodness and the character of God in our world. So maybe God isn't answering our prayers because what we're asking for, we are unwilling to give. But then it doesn't do the whole thing justice for me because that's not oftentimes kinds of prayers that we have. So this is what we don't know. We don't know often why God doesn't answer. We know the kinds of prayers we're praying, but really what it comes down to is what we know. It comes down to if we believe that God is good. It comes down to, for me, an argument for perspective in our world. It comes down to why God does when he does, what he does when he does it. I love this verse in 2 Peter 3. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So I read a bunch of leadership blogs and and articles and magazines, and one thing I came across in the last couple weeks is the value of responding and not reacting, you know? I talk about with parenting as well. The value of responding and not reacting. The difference is one is defensive and one is emotional and one is usually outlandishly driven by a desire that we don't let sit and settle and the other is tempered, is wise. The other takes into account the bigger picture. When it says that the Lord is slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness, we have to start the conversation about why God doesn't answer sometimes with the knowledge that his perspective is bigger than ours. That, that our life is not that long in the, in, in the bigger picture of God's existence, which is before all and after all and alpha and omega and no beginning and no end. We have to understand that God's perspective is bigger than ours. So when God responds or chooses not to respond, we think maybe he doesn't care or he doesn't answer and maybe God's saying, I intend to, but you don't see it from my perspective. We have different definitions of what answer is and different definitions of what good is fundamentally. So when we talk about this, it it really is a conversation about what we said at the beginning, that there are things that God knows that I don't. And I'm gonna try and search through the character of God to know them, but there are things that God knows that I simply don't. Isaiah puts it like this. It says, for my thoughts, God, or this is him talking to God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
It's the idea that when we don't know, I go back to what I know. And I know that God's ways are bigger, higher than mine. And so when we talk about the good of God answering, we have to understand that God's perspective is bigger than ours. Because I'm fine with that. I'm fine so far with God doesn't answer prayers because maybe I'm not a a good dispenser of God's answer of prayers. Or God doesn't answer prayers because because what I'm asking for is selfish and I don't need a Lamborghini. I I can get on board with that. but, But what about the things that I know are the will of God? What about the things like when I want my friends to be healed of cancer? When I want my friends to have a kid? What about the things that we can't sit here and argue God might be against? That's what really gets me. Because I know that God doesn't want sickness, and I know that God doesn't want disease, and I know that God doesn't want suffering, and I know that God doesn't want anybody to perish. So when I pray for people to come to the Lord, why does God not act right then and right there? Why does he wait? And it comes down to the idea of the slowness of God and the fastness of my life. There's an example in um, John chapter 9. There's a guy born blind. I'll read it for you. It says, now Jesus was passing by, and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Who committed the sin that caused him to be born blind? This man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither. Nor this man or his parents sinned. But he was born blind so that the acts of God may be revealed through what happened to him. It's a story when there is a wrong, there is an evil, there is an injustice. And God's answer to why he hadn't healed yet was because his version of good was bigger than the version of good that they thought. They said, why can't you heal right now? And he said, because I'm going to heal so that people might know who I am. So you waited till this moment. It's this idea that God's perspective is bigger than ours and we can't see the good that God has in mind. It's bigger than our good because we don't understand why it doesn't happen right now. And, And we get frustrated about it and we don't get why God doesn't act on our timetable, in our lives, when we want it to happen. Uh, Yancey, he says, if I spend enough time with God, I will inevitably begin to look at the world with the point of view that more resembles God's own. What is faith after all but believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse? It's the idea that God's idea of good is bigger than our idea of good. Two years ago, um, we have mission trips that go all over the world and our, the, the people that run our missions committee here, amazing, amazing volunteers, they said, hey, Charlie, do you want to go to Albania? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. I've wanted to go to Albania all my life. And then I looked up where it was. And I said, um, <laughs> I'm going be honest, I, I, did, I did not know. <laughs> um, and so I looked up Albania. I'm willing to go anywhere all the time. I love to travel. And I said, yeah, what's it, what's it for? And they said, well, they're doing a conference about work. And, and their idea there was to bring in business leaders to speak to business leaders in Albania because it was a draw. And I said, I'm not a business leader. I'm a pastor, right? Because they wanted non-churchy people. And so they had two people, Pete and Paul, come. Pete is the chairman of our elder board. He is a general, was a general in the Air Force. He had some success in life. The other was a VP of a very, very big company, and he, was, he had massive corporate success, and he flew in private planes and things like that, right? This is not something that Crossroads has. This is not fellowship.com. So, that was, that was cheap, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So I'm looking at the company I'm going with and I'm saying, what, what am I going to do on this thing? You know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't work in the business world. I work in the church world. And that's not the point of this trip. And so they just kept saying, hey, I just think you need to go. I think you should go as the pastor of missions and you can add value. And I, I'm not okay if I don't know what the objective or goal is up front. I just, I like that stuff. When we start meetings, when we do Sunday mornings, what are we trying to do today? And if we're not going to move towards that, then we're wasting time. 
So I kept asking, hey, why am I going on this trip? And I went on this trip, and I was supposed to lead some sessions, and they all got canceled except for one, because I'm a pastor, and this was not for pastors. And the whole time I was there, I kept thinking, I don't understand why I'm here. I, j- I just don't get it. It's great that I'm here, but I feel guilty because I'm spending the church's money and I'm spending people's time. Like, what, what value am I adding here? And I thought about that a lot this week. Because what I didn't know, and, and as I was praying through this message this week, the story just kept coming back up to me. Our elder board right now, we're talking about some strategic planning and, and, and you know, I'm younger than a lot of people on our elder board and Paul and Pete are wiser and, and a little older than me. So sometimes that's intimidating. And, and one of them now is the chairman of our elder board, and the other one is the vice chair of our elder board. And here's my point in that whole thing, is I went on that trip, and I developed relationships with people that are going to be my chairman and vice chairman way before I knew that I was going to be in this job, right? I built social capital in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise, because that's what mission trips do. This week, as I was praying through this message, I just kept thinking, God kept saying, that's why you went, that's why you went even when you didn't feel like you had a purpose being there. This idea that God's idea of good is different than my idea of good because I didn't teach any sessions or lead anything on how to study the Bible because that's what I do. God's saying my purposes and plans of good are bigger than your purposes and plans even if you can't see it. Yancey also says faith calls us to trust in a future-oriented God. It's this beautiful ability that when we don't know why God doesn't answer, we trust that his bigger purposes of good are better than ours. And so God's idea of good is bigger than ours, but like I just said, it's also better than ours. There's a story in the New Testament in Mark, Peter, the most outspoken disciple. He's listening to Jesus, and again, Jesus says, I'm going to go away for a while. And Peter says this in Mark 8. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. All right, so Jesus was the center of their life, and Jesus says, I'm going away, and the, and the bad guys are going to win. And so Peter naturally gets mad about that because he loves Jesus. I'm not faulting Peter here, because he's saying, how if you, how about, what, what is good about you going away? There is no good about you going away. Your best good for me and you is to stay here with us. And Jesus responds and he says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This idea that God's version of good isn't only bigger than ours, but it's better than ours because Peter couldn't see ultimately what Jesus was doing when he says, I need, I need to sacrifice for you so that you can have a relationship with me beyond just this three years of ministry. My kid was born with um, some fluid in her lungs, and so she was in the NICU for a little while. And then this last week, two weeks ago, she had an ear infection. And um, I don't know how a five-month-old produces that much snot, but it just happens sometimes. And, and so it keeps on coming, keeps on coming. And this week, um, we had some more of all of the things. And so one of the least favorite things I have to do is use this little tube sucker on my child. People tell me there's this thing called the nose Frida where you insert this tube and then you suck. I'm not doing that, right? My love for my kid is not there yet. I'm just letting you guys know. Maybe it'll grow into that. Maybe not. I, they tell me, but there's a stopper. I don't care, right? Anyway, that's, that's a whole nother thing. So uh, this week she woke up and like, she, my kid couldn't breathe. Like she, she sounds like some kind of farm animal trying to breathe. And she's like doing this number and trying to laugh at the same time. And she can't breathe through her nose. And so we said, we got, we got to get the sucker. We got to get the sucker. And, and my wife held her little head down 
And I went in, and she is just losing it at this point, right? It's terrible. And I'm trying to say things like, I'm sorry, this is for your good. And she's begging us to stop, but we're not going to stop because I'm sucking out more snot than I think I've produced in the last year, and she's this big, you know? It's this idea that she didn't get it. She's asking us to stop, and I'm saying, you don't understand. My good is not just bigger than your good. It's better than what you think good is because I'm going to do this thing, and you're going to breathe, but you don't see it because you don't have the perspective. All that matters is right now, you're not answering my cry for help. It's this beautiful picture that Peter didn't get either, that God knows more than us, and so because he knows more than us, his definition of good is better than ours. Tim Keller says it like this, God will either give us what we ask for, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Because it's frustrating to not know. It's frustrating to be in a place where we feel like we ask God for good things and he's silent. Because I want to ask the question, God, I know this is good. Why would you be silent right now? I'm not asking something that's bad or something that's selfish. This is good. Where are you? And in those moments of the unknowns, I go back to what I know, that God's good is bigger and better than mine. I go back to what I know, that God's good will ultimately, in the end, win out. And sometimes I might have to wait on that. I go back to what I know about who God is. I think the best example of trusting in what we know about God versus not seeing God act has got to be Paul. So Paul was the main player in the New Testament outside of Jesus, wrote about a third of it. And he loved God and he knew God and he knew the gospel and he took the gospel to the rest of the world. That was his job. Paul was a Christian superstar in the New Testament. And so you feel like if we're going to go back to that equation-based claim on God, if anybody, if God's going to listen to anybody, it's going to be Paul. And Paul throughout the New Testament says a few times, hey, I've got this thing and we don't know what it is. He says, I've got this thing. I'm going to call it a thorn in the flesh. It's a problem I have. I've got this thing and I'm asking God to take it away. I'm asking God to take it away so that I might be more productive for God. I'm asking that God take it away, but God won't do it. He won't take it away. He won't take it away. He won't take it away. I find in that moment the tension of us saying, God, I want to do this for your glory. And you still won't say, yes, what's going on? It's this tension of God not answering. And I wish I could look at Paul and say, Paul, let me tell you three reasons why he's not answering. One, two, three, fix these. God's going to go your way, right? But it doesn't ever happen. It never gets solved. God never answers that prayer. But Paul still writes in Romans 11. I love this. Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his past beyond our tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's this idea that even in the middle of the tension of the unknown of good prayers, Paul still trusts in what he knows, which is the character of God that is good, and that God's good is bigger and better than his own, even if he doesn't see it. And, and let me end with this. I think that ultimately, it brings me to a place of, why keep praying? If God's not going to answer, why keep praying? And I think we've shown the past couple weeks because it changes us and it changes the world around us and Jesus calls us into persistence. But what I love about prayer is what it signifies about who we are. So 
I think that by all accounts in the Old Testament, God doesn't listen to wicked people. It says in Psalm 66, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so one of the beautiful things about prayer, even the unanswered ones, is the reminder of who I am in Jesus. Because we end every prayer the same way. In Jesus' name I pray. And I'm willing to bet that most times we don't even know we're saying it. We just say it because that's how you end prayer. Have you ever been in a prayer where somebody didn't say that and it's awkward and everybody kind of looks up and somebody has to say it before you can move on, you know? And so we say, in Jesus' name, amen. And oftentimes, like I said, it's kind of just routine or route or ritual. But what it does is remind us of identity, even if God isn't speaking to us or answering our prayers in the way that we think he should. And so it says in the Psalms that, God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked, so why does God hear our prayers? Because it's the gospel 101 that Jesus died and took on our nature so that God sees us through the nature of his son, perfect, holy, and blameless. It's what happened when Jesus went to the cross, and it says one of the first things would happen, there's thick veil between the holy and the holy of holies where the presence of God dwelt, and it just ripped from top to bottom, this thick veil ripped from top to bottom, symbolizing that now we have access to God in a way that we wouldn't before because Jesus died. What, what I love about praying in Jesus' name at the end of prayer is that I understand or don't understand why God's acting is it reminds me that I pray through the power of Jesus who came and died for me. It reminds me whom I am in Jesus. Tim Keller says it like this, to pray in Jesus' name is essentially to reground our relationship with God in the saving work of Jesus over and over again. It also means to recognize your status as a child of God, regardless of your inner state. So here's what I know. In the middle of the unknown, of the unanswered prayers, the ones that are not selfish or self-indulgent, but good, I know that God's good is bigger and better than mine, and I know that when I pray, I pray in the power of Jesus Christ. And so what that does for me is encourages me to keep on keeping on, you know? To keep on praying because I know who Jesus is. I need the reminder that my identity is found in him and I can know that in the middle of the unknown because the conversation about answered prayer is way bigger than we have space for. I don't have all the answers to it, neither do you. But in the middle of the unknown, we go to what we know. That God is good, this perspective is bigger than us and that we are his family. And God says, how good is a father that gives good things to his kid? I am that God. And so we're going to take communion um, in just a minute. And when we take communion, I hope and I pray that it reminds us of the power of prayer in life. That it reminds us that when we pray in Jesus' name, we pray in the identity of the righteousness of Christ. It reminds us in the middle of the unknown, I know that God knows us and I know that he's good and I know that his perspective is bigger than mine. It reminds us every time that we pray that God hears us. Because the problem with unanswered prayers is it feels like he doesn't. And so as we take communion, and it's gluten-free, everybody, as we take communion, my prayer is that we have a passion for prayer again. My prayer is that we trust again in God's goodness, that we focus on what we know and trust that what we don't know is up to God. And because he's good, that's good enough for me. So let me pray for us, and then you guys can take communion um, as you feel led up at the tables. God, I'm thankful for your character and your goodness. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the tension of not knowing the things that you know all the time. It reminds me that you're good and that you're bigger than me and, and it reminds me of your perspective that's greater than mine. I'm thankful for unanswered prayers as tough as they are. I pray today that as we take communion, we're reminded of the sacrifice Jesus made so that God might hear us, so that we can experience the presence of God. 
as we pray and as we're changed. And may it encourage us to keep praying. In the middle of the unknown, to keep on praying because God is good and he is near. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.